Greetings and welcome to the Plug Power Q2 call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. A brief question and answer session will follow the formal presentation. If anyone should require operator assistance during the conference, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded. It is now my pleasure to introduce your host, Teal Hoyos, Senior Director of Marketing and Communications. Thank you, Teal. You may begin. Thank you. Welcome to the 2023 second quarter earnings call. This call will include forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements contain projections of our future results of operations or of our financial position or other forward-looking information. We intend these forward-looking statements to be covered by the safe harbor provisions for forward-looking statements contained in Section 27A of the Securities Act of 1933 and Section 21E of the Securities Exchange Act of 1934. We believe that it is important to communicate our future expectations to investors. However, investors are cautioned not to unduly rely on forward-looking statements, and such statements should not be read or understood as a guarantee of future performance or results. Such statements are based upon the current expectations, estimates, forecasts, and projections, as well as the current beliefs and assumptions of management, and are subject to significant risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results or performance to differ materially from those discussed as a result of various factors, including, but not limited to, the risk factors and uncertainties discussed under Item 1A, Risk Factors, in our annual report on Form 10-K for the fiscal year ending December 31st, 2022. Quarterly results on Form 10-Q and other results we file from time to time with the Securities and Exchange Commission. These forward-looking statements speak only of the day in which the statements are made, and we do not undertake or intend to update any forward-looking statements after this call or as a result of new information. At this point, I would like to turn the call over to PLUG's CEO, Andy Marsh. Thank you, Teal, and thank you everyone for joining the PLUG second quarter conference call. PLUG's in the process of developing an unparalleled hydrogen fuel cell platform. This encompasses a diverse array of products, extensive international collaborations, backing from government entities, financial partners, and our robust infrastructure. Our second quarter outcome reveals noticeable growth in several of our recently launched products, particularly in our cryogenic sector, which garnered $69 million in revenue, making a more than three-fold rise over the previous year. Our international collaborations are yielding positive results as well. Through our joint venture with Renault, the initial product from Privea garnered positive reviews. Kilometer Magazine, a renowned authority in the realm of commercial vehicles in France, bestowed the Heavy Commercial Vehicle of the Year 2023 award upon the Hyvea Fuel Cell Electric Vehicle Master Van. Through our partnership with SK, our joint venture, Hiverse, 
achieved a significant milestone as the first megawatt-scale electrolyzer to be certified in Korea. Our strong governmental backing spans across key global capitals, from Washington, D.C. to Brussels, Helsinki, Paris, and Seoul, plug has cultivated robust connections with government authorities. Given the vital intersection of energy and climate change with governmental policies, we have proven ourselves as trustworthy experts capable of offering insights and impartial analysis on the path towards a carbon neutral world. This strategic policy alignment is reaping rewards in the present as an American manufacturing company plug generated a $10 million increase in gross margin dollars during the second quarter attributed to the provisions promoting American-made products under the IRA. We anticipate further advantages as we tack into manufacturing incentives within the IRA, along with the production tax credit for hydrogen. The IRA is starting to pay dividends to plug. Furthermore, we have actively secured multiple sources of non-dilutive capital as we diligently expand our global green hydrogen generation network. Presently, PLUG is in the final stages of the second round of due diligence with the DOE Loan Program Office for a billion-dollar project financing facilities. We have a term sheet, term sheet framework, and we're working through final processes to get this structure approved and lost. Simultaneously, we're assessing assessing various options, including corporate debt facilities for major financial institutions, alternative infrastructure project financing, and solutions for ITC project financing. Lastly, the unmatched nature of our manufacturing infrastructure is substantiated not only by our internal evaluation, but also by feedback from customers and potential clients. Initially designed to support 2.5 gigawatts of MEAs, our Rochester facility now boasts a scalable potential of up to 7.5 gigawatts as we advance the production process. I had the uh, privilege of personally touring our Vista facility, our 400,000 square foot integration factory with a customer this past Tuesday. And quite honestly, they were astonished because they've been at everybody else's facilities. Additionally, our hydrogen plant in Georgia, for which we're hosting an investor day on August 23rd, stand as the largest green hydrogen plant in North America. Navigating the process of scaling our business presents its own set of challenges, and our ability to surmount, surmount these challenges serve as a distinct advantage for plug. One's been our gross margin challenges. What's not readily apparent is that excluding one-time charges, our margins in the second quarter would have been minus 12%, over 20% better than Q1. Throughout the rest of 2023, we will see continual margin expansion. An industry leader shared with me recently, the endeavor is truly valuable when it comes with its share of challenges and this, in the end, provides a differential advantage. 
the journey of mastering the construction of hydrogen plants, expanding factory capabilities, developing customers, and concurrently introducing an array of new products has undoubtedly been demanding. However, we firmly believe that the efforts invested in these undertakings will yield substantial benefits for all those vested in plug success. At this point, Paul, Sanjay, and I are prepared to address any questions you may have. I think we're open for questions. All right, thank you. We will now be conducting a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you would like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star keys. One moment, please, while we poll for questions. Thank you. Our first question comes from Bill Peterson with J.P. Morgan. Please proceed with your question. Hi, good afternoon, team. How, how are you doing this afternoon? Okay, Bill, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, lots to digest and release, so uh, forgive me if we missed some things here, but I, I wanted to talk about the, the upcoming guidance from the U.S. Treasury related to the IRA, and I know you've expressed confidence in the past, um, and it seems like there may be some positive, you know, news forthcoming. But first of all, when should we get a, a, some resolution on the, on the, on the additionality and matching things? And I guess if if it was going to be unfavorable, I guess without this PTC, how would how would the economics compare between a U.S. hydrogen plant and a plant in Europe? Really good questions, Bill. And if I was going to, let me answer the first part of your question. Uh, it's our assessment and it's the assessment of many people that we will see guidance in September. And I think that uh, from what we can tell from the guidance, there was a good article by Bloomberg, which is consistent with discussions we've had with many senators, with people in the White House, that, uh, you know, I think that the, 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 the regulations will be... Uh, uh, I think, very reasonable in the end. Uh, we look at these plants today, so there are differences between the energy costs in Europe versus the energy costs in the U.S. So if you take, for example, uh, green hydrogen itself, uh, you know, if you think about a, and I'm going to talk about generation without liquefaction and transportation, uh, I think at three cents a kilowatt hour, you're talking probably around $2.50 in the U.S. to generate at a spot like Texas. If you think about Europe, uh, and, and that would include the cost of production and the cost of depreciation bill, would not include the cost of liquefaction or transportation. Now, liquefaction probably adds at that facility 75 cents. Uh, just to kind of give you a gauge. Uh, in Europe, with the PTC, obviously, uh, you know, the PTC was structured to make sure that hydrogen was cost competitive with natural gas. So when you start adding on liquefaction, 
transportation, uh, you're really probably talking about cost around all what you know, four fifty to five dollars at a customer site for the best case, which would be Texas, which really puts hydrogen in the realm of natural gas. And I think that's the goal of the IRA. If you look at Europe, the support will be different. It's really more geared to support. If you really look at the total dollars that uh, Europe is putting towards hydrogen fuel cells, we think those numbers sit around $870 billion, but it's much more how you work the government grant process. That's why our international collaborations is real important. Because I know this is a long answer, Bill, but uh, you know, if you take, for example, our JV with Hyvea, we've been able to leverage over $200 million, million euros in government grants to support the development of that business. Does that help, Bill? Yeah, no, that's uh, super helpful. Uh, you know, maybe the second question for me is, uh, it sounds like you're you're moving to the next steps and some maybe potential a good promising uh, outcome maybe with the DOE loans program office. But I guess what what, re- what remains to be done? It sounds like you're in the second stage of due diligence. And what would be the timing, uh, assuming you successfully you know pass that bar? I'm going to hand that off to Paul, Bill. Yeah, hey, hey Bill. Um, so uh, there's a there's a couple of things. Well, first and foremost, uh, you know the good news is that we've come together, as Andy alluded in his comments, with an outline of a term sheet that we think will work for us and that they can get past. And so that's a big hurdle. And they're in the final now. Now they're off to the races, doing the final due diligence around you know market studies and technical studies and things that they they just got to kind of finish that process. But I and and then once we get through that, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll you know there's a little bit of more polishing to finalize the term sheet uh, in a format that they can submit through their you know their process that they've got to go through the government uh, agencies to get approved. Um, so at this point, our best guess is that you know we would have something approved and be able to announce something you know hopefully mid November to early December. We're all that they are equally motivated to get it done fast as we possibly can. So we've got weekly meetings and efforts to try and push over those final hurdles. So we'll see, uh, you know, how it plays, but that's that's kind of the timeline and, and where we're at in that process. Helpful. Uh, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Bill. Thank you. Our next question comes from Eric Sign with Craig Hallam. Please proceed with your question. Hi, everyone. Good Thanks afternoon. for taking the questions good here. Hey, good, good afternoon. Good to hear you, Eric. Good afternoon. Yeah, you too. Good afternoon. So I have not, uh, well, haven't been able to digest the entire letter here, so I might come back to some questions. From your investor day, um, so you had talked about $4 billion in overall electrolyzer opportunities that you saw over the next 12 months. You know, I'm, I'm curious whether that still holds, you know, whether that's accelerated and maybe what areas of the market where you are seeing the most traction with that business. Eric, I'm going to turn it over to Sanjay. Sanjay? Great. Thank you, Andy. Hey, Eric, how are you? So um, since we um, last talked about that, the number has actually, uh, if anything, gone up a bit. We are actually tracking about 7.5 gigawatt of opportunity as much as $5 billion of uh, potential revenue opportunity for us on that business. 
And by the way, Eric, one of the things we've done is rather than talk about just the big funnel, we have actually identified project by project, right? And these are the projects we believe could actually get to FID, final investment decision, over the next 18 months. Now, look, some of them might not materialize. Some of them move faster than expected, but that's what the funnel sits at right now. And the mix is really, when you really think about sort of the mix, there's a lot of opportunity here in the U.S., actually quite sizable project. You know, we're actually very, very far along with some of the sizable opportunity here. There is actually, and you guys all saw that, we announced this pretty big opportunity with a major oil and gas company in Europe, which we had talked about on our last earnings call. And there's lots of those opportunities in Europe, as well as in broadly speaking in the Asia-Pacific market as well. So, uh, you know, again, we are certainly looking to close several more large electrolyzer deals here, you know, before the year is over. And that's where the funnel sits right now. Got it. And maybe, Sanjay, probably this is yours as well. I know a big topic uh, a few months back was in terms of green hydrogen, and although you've got very extensive plans, you know, whether that actually is going to end up being enough, um, and also kind of the open question of, you know, how much do you keep for your customers and how much do you keep open that you might sell in the market? So maybe some updated thoughts on that would be great. Yes, I'm sure, Eric, right? I mean, a couple of things. Look, I mean, our bringing our green hydrogen plants online is the key to really expanding and improving our fuel business margin. We've talked about that again and again, right? I think once we start to produce internally, you know, that actually reduces our cost of green hydrogen by one-third versus what we're having to pay right now in the market. So it's a step change, if you would, right? And the way the cadence of that is really Georgia, then Louisiana, then Texas, then New York, right? And obviously our existing plant in Tennessee. So once we have Texas up and running, that's when you actually start to see our fuel business turn profitable. That is still buying from the third party under some of the existing contract right now. So our primary goal is to really make sure that we're supporting our customer in our existing application business to make sure that the resiliency is there. We're supporting them 24-7. You know, it's a mission-critical application for them and simultaneously expand our fuel margin. Now, from the third-party opportunity perspective, uh, Eric, I mean, the funnel is actually bigger than 500 tons opportunity, but near-term focus is really how do we make sure that we have enough for our material handling business how do we make sure we have enough for our application business so that the application business in terms of your stationary product ends up really having a good total cost of ownership for our end customer? Then we really start to think about swap opportunity. No real change in the view. We still want to have about 20% reserve capacity to be able to support all the force mature that we've seen here in this uh, liquid hydrogen market in North America, but that's really where we are right now, Eric. Andy, would you like to add anything? No, I think you covered it, Sanjay. All right, thank you very much. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. Our next question comes from James West with Evercore ISI. Please proceed with your question. Hey, good afternoon, guys. Hey, James, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you doing, Andy? Okay. So curious how you guys are thinking about green hydrogen production in, in Europe. We, we obviously know the strategy in the U.S. You've got a, a variety or, of projects um, in Europe, but I suspect there's there's more to come. What's the, I guess, what's the, the broader uh, strategy to attack, uh, to attack the European market with green hydrogen? Yeah, good question, Eric. Uh, let me 
take a step back. We believe that when you look at the cost of energy and the availability of green molecules, most of that's going to exist in the northern cone and the southern cone of Europe. As we mentioned in the uh, letter uh, with Axiona, you know, we're looking to have the first 15-ton plant commissioned by the end, later half of 2024. You know, the Port of Antwerp will support a good deal of our activities, which are going on in France, as well as supporting some activities in Germany, which will be a 35-ton plant, which initial hydrogen production in 2025. As we've talked about, Finland is a area we're spending a good deal of time where we feel we'll be able to support up to 10% of Europeans' internal goals by 2030 with FID in 2026. So that's a big focus. There are smaller activities going on for smaller plants uh, in France and Germany uh, to support especially our material handling and stationary customers. But uh, that's kind of, you know, I think you'll see most of the activity. And we have land we own now in Denmark and other places, which uh, provides opportunities that we've looked at, uh, which could become sites for building out large hydrogen plants. Now, the key item in Denmark and Finland is that both of them are looking to put hydrogen pipelines into Central Europe. So that is a real, that is the real focus of plug. Okay. Okay. Got that it. Very helpful. That, that yep. definitely does. Yeah. Thanks, Andy. And then do you guys see a scenario uh, playing out in, in the EU uh, or Europe broadly uh, that's similar? I mean, they have the green industrial plan, which is kind of the, the counter to the IRA, but there's not a ton of detail out there, but do you see something similar to what the, what the IRA is doing for, there could be something similar to what the IRA is doing for a green hydrogen in the U.S., you know, it's kind of supercharging the market? We do, and, and uh, we do, James. And when we look at it, you know, and I'm going to say on paper, it appears to us the dollars that have been allocated in Europe are larger than the dollars allocated in the U.S. You know, right. the advantage the U.S. has is the fact that you know, it's a much more of a, you know, public market activity so that uh, since it's based on tax credits, uh, it's easier to navigate. Uh, Mm -hmm. But we do see in Europe that the overall dollars between now and 2030 could exceed the U.S. And look, that's why we have partners like Axiona. That's why we partner very closely with the Port of Antwerp. Now, we're you, know, you really need the right for a company like Plug. You really need the right European partners to really leverage that expansion. Got it. And I think okay, we have the right. Okay. Great. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. Our next question comes from Manush Gupta with UBS. Please proceed with your question. Hi. Um, so Sanjay kind of alluded to this, but refining is a massive market opportunity as it relates to replacing gray hydrogen. You actually announced an order in Europe, one of the bigger ones, to replace uh, gray hydrogen with green hydrogen. 
Do you see this segment and market growing and someday even U.S. refiners looking to source green hydrogen and replace their gray hydrogen? I'm not sure if you saw yesterday, but there's a public independent refiner who basically on their earnings call said, we are looking for electrolyzers to make green hydrogen uh, to support our staff. So as an end market for U.S. refining or Europe refining, how are you thinking about that? I'm, I'm going to let Sanjay take that. Have we, have we even asked one? Oh, we, we, <laughs> we, we, so, <laughs> sorry, let me, let me. So, uh, a couple of comments, Manav, right? Short answer is yes. Uh, we certainly see that as a pretty meaningful opportunity. It uh, absolutely makes a lot of sense. And frankly, this is where production tax credits really play a major role to make it a level playing field, as Andy was talking about it from a price competitive standpoint versus gray hydrogen and green hydrogen in some of these markets, right? Where the economics start to make sense, pricing start to make sense, economic value proposition for the customer that are looking to really decarbonize makes a lot of sense. So, and as you know, from the industrial opportunity perspective, uh, you know, refining industry is actually a very large user of gray hydrogen and existing opportunity today. We do see this as a major electrolyzer sales opportunity, number one. Second, it could even lead into something like a build-own-operate model for us. And we do have several of those discussions going on, not just in Europe, but also in the U.S. market. Hard to say exactly when they materialize and end up becoming a concrete opportunity, but we have multiple of those opportunities. And these are gigawatts and gigawatts of electrolyzer that that industry is going to need in terms of really going from gray to green hydrogen. And one thing that's actually somewhat very unique for a plug, if you would, right, and this is what we talked about as our enterprise sales opportunity and really trying to serve to the customer's need. If they want to buy hydrogen, we can certainly approach it as a build-own-operate model where we own the electrolyzer supply them hydrogen behind the fence, if you would. We can do that. And if they are just looking to buy it as a capital equipment, of course, we are the company that has the scale and, uh, you know, the gigafactory that can support the kind of the demand and the needs that they have. But rest assured, we got a lot of those discussions going on both in the U.S. as well as in Europe, and we certainly see this being a big opportunity. Uh, thank you. I have one quick follow-up. Recently, you introduced your HL1500, the market's first portable hydrogen refueler. I uh, wanted to follow up on it. How are the conversations with potential customers going with that product? Do you see that product making an impact to your top line in 24 and 25? Thank you. I'm going to hand that one over to Sanjay also. Sanjay? Uh, thanks, Andy. Again, Manav. So we're actually sold out with that product for this year. So that's how the demand is. Uh, we have transit companies that are super interested in it. We actually have uh, – that even opens up some of the uh, traditional existing market for us, even on a smaller size because of that mobile refueler. It actually has a lot of application for uh, fuel cell electric vehicle companies that are looking to launch Class 7 and Class 8 truck before the whole infrastructure gets built out, right? So uh, we're completely sold out. It's a very uh, – good margin business for us as well within our cryogenic business. You will see a big impact in Q4 of this year with that revenue. We see substantial growth coming out of that business both in 2024 as well as 2025, and this product already has a gross margin that is within our corporate target that we have articulated in the past. Thank you so much, and this is all very positive. Thank you. I would just add, Sanjay, it is so critical to transition Absolutely. because if you're thinking about going with five or six buses to start, or you're trying to think about using four or five vehicles, this is a tailor-made product, tailor -made product to really support the development of the industry. And uh, it, is, it is really a unique offering.
Thank you for that. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question comes from Colin Rush with Oppenheimer. Please proceed with your question. Thanks so much, guys. Afternoon, Colin. And good to hear you. Uh, your voice, Andy. Appreciate the time. Um, yeah. You know, as you guys look at some of the challenges in and around you know, interconnection for for renewables and, and some of the larger power systems, can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing in terms of incremental project development demand on the stationary power side, but also how folks are thinking about potentially diverting uh, some of that power into uh, into hydrogen to avoid some of the interconnection challenges? It is uh, so. Jose, who's not with us today, is we are seeing substantial demand and activities associated, you know, with especially powering EV vehicles for folks who want, you know, fleets for delivery vans, people want bus buses which are electric vehicles, where uh, the availability of the grid. Uh, just is not there. Uh, you know, we have orders that, uh, you know, we could ship up to 17 megawatts this year. Uh, next year, you know, our internal forecasts show 50 to 75 megawatts. I think everywhere we go, that is the challenge and that uh, the stationary product really helps people overcome that challenge. I really like that market because it's really, to me, like the work we're doing with SK in, for Hivers, it's really, to us, the future peaker plan, that we're getting, lear getting all this learning, developing these products, which eventually will replace gas turbines and will sit side by side with solar and wind, you know, generating hydrogen during the off, when the wind's blowing, using the stationary to back up wind and solar farms, uh, as well as, uh, you know, ultimately how nuclear rolls out. There's really a close correlation for peakers. We think it's the perfect product. I always like to say to our team, this is generation number two at the moment. And it's, a, it's quite a product. I expect that this will go through learning curve after learning curve, and there'll be generation after generation. But uh, that demand is that demand is real, and that is a real headache to the development of EVs, and it's a real headache, and which we, which we think is important for climate change. Uh, but it is a real, real problem. It's also this connection issue is why the debate going on with additionality really doesn't make any sense to us. And that uh, it is, uh, you know, something that we know that the White House and others know, it is a huge problem. When you sit with Senator Manchin, we talk a lot about inter interconnect and permitting and what it means for electric vehicles, as well as what it means for how you meet the 2050 U.S. climate goals. Great. Thanks so much. You know, and, and then if you guys continue to scale and, and uh, look at shorter timeframes on some of these projects. Can you talk a little bit about the evolution of your supply chain and, and their willingness to invest uh, in, in incremental capacity to support your growth? Um, 
I spent, uh, that's actually what I spent my whole afternoon on. And we have, uh, you know, we've announced obviously one critical supplier, Johnson Matthey, who's moving forward with us. Uh, We have others, uh, you know, in the electrolyzer business. You know, if you think about, let's take an electrolyzer. What do I worry about? Uh, I worry about uh, items like uh, invert. I worry about rectifiers and making sure suppliers are well positioned to support our own internal needs. I worry about control panels. Uh, I worry about uh, fabricators. And for all those three items, I think plug, and I think we should probably publicly go more about who those partners are. probably can't do one on this call. We need to kind of clear it with them. But we have been developing uh, relationships, and we do see people making investments. And I think what you'll see is that we've been trying to think through a campus approach at facilities like our Rochester facilities, leveraging our government relations to really help bring companies into places like New York and West Virginia to support our future needs. Great. Thanks so much, guys. Okay, Tom. Thank you. Our next question comes from Jeff Osborne with TD Cowan. Please proceed with your question. Yeah, thank you. Uh, just had a, a couple hey, questions Jeff. on the uh, Thanks for taking the time, Andy. On the, the Georgia facility, um, I was wondering if you can give us an update on how the commissioning process is going. I, I, I seem to recall that I was – expecting that to be up and running, at, I thought, in uh, early August or, or July. And uh, now it still seems that you're making gaseous hydrogen. So I was just curious, have you actually liquefied anything at, at this point or run it at, at full steam? Is there any comments you can get, give us on uh, utilization or capacity factors on, on how it's performing? Yeah, sure, sure, Jeff. Uh, so again, I think we're fairly, uh, look, we feel pretty confident that we're going to be producing liquid in Q3. Right now, we're essentially going through ramping up electrolyzer, right? We've actually turned electrolyzers on. You know that we've been producing gaseous hydrogen there with our gaseous hydrogen plant. We're in a process of actually ramping up our liquefiers in a process of cooling down the liquefaction trains. You know, so uh, again, that's why we're hosting our analysts there there on August 23rd, right? So that we can actually showcase to you all exactly what's happening there and what's going on. So at the moment here, are we producing liquid? We're not producing liquid today, but we are essentially ramping up the electrolyzer on path to be able to produce that liquid. And Jeff, one of the key things here, right? I do want to stress this one particular point is, uh, you know, obviously, um, look, and I'm just going to take the point that's an elephant in the room, if you would, we clearly recognize that we've been three to six months behind than what we originally wanted it to be. But having said that, this plant is still coming online in 12 months since we actually issued the EPC contract, number one. And number two, we also wanted to make sure this is the first of a kind integrated electrolyzer liquefier on-site storage. So there are steps we want to make sure that we're taking from a safety standpoint, from the long-term operational benefit of the plant. So long story and a quick comment, we are going to be producing liquid here in the month of August. We're very much looking forward to hosting you all on August 23rd, and we're essentially ramping up the plant at this point in time. And filling trailers. Absolutely. Look forward to to, to the uh, being there in person. Um, just a, one quick clarification on Georgia and then a second question. 
is this you're in the release that says 2.5 tons a day. Have you run it full steam on the electrolysis side? Yes, that is correct, uh, Jeff. We actually have filled high-pressure tube trailers for third-party customer many times at that site. And the way we wanted to do that, right, and this is very important for us to do, make sure that we're running that first gas plant, optimize the gas plant, get the learnings from that gas plant so that you can take all of that learnings from a control perspective, ramp up the electrolyzer perspective, all the safety perspective when you actually are now ramping up the entire 40 megawatt of electrolyzer to support 15 ton of liquid production. And Jeff, to a point where we've actually initiated expansion of that 15 ton now to a 30 ton liquid plant at the site because of how we felt about what has gone so far from a 15 ton production perspective. The electrolyzers aren't really anything we're really thinking much about. We know they work absolutely. That's great to hear. Just my follow-up yeah. oh, follow was just on the hydrogen hubs. How are you positioned for that, and what do you think the timing of the awards are from the, the government process there? Jeff, I, uh, I think the hydrogen hub and the IRA are really closely connected. There was a letter which was released by the state of New York, the state of Massachusetts, state of Connecticut, state of Maine, that, uh, you know, the, hydro the to make this a nationwide hydrogen hub, uh, the IRA regulations need to be, for the PTC, need to be uh, based in over a long period of time. I spoke to the New York governor about that actually just yesterday. And uh, it is, I think, you know, we see, you know, more activity come the fourth quarter uh, for some initial grants. But for this to become a nationwide network, it's not just the hubs. It's the hubs coupled with the IRA. And this is something that if you read the uh, letter that state of New York and the other states put in, the Treasury really makes clear that uh, if they really limited the IRA regulations, which I don't think will be the case, that uh, the impact will be much more modest. Because the $9 billion, quite honestly, is a good deal of money, but it's not really what's going to drive a hydrogen economy. It's kind of like I look at it, $50 billion for chip facilities seem like a lot of money but you really need large support from other elements to make that successful. The same thing holds true for hydrogen. We expect some announcements the fourth quarter, uh, but it'll be a little bit of dollars then and more and more will start flowing out. Thanks much, Andy. Go ahead. Okay, Jeff. Thank you. Our next question comes from Amit Thacker with BMO Capital. Please proceed with your question. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. Hello, Amit. Um, just uh, real quick, um, just thinking about kind of the cadence of kind of cash needs uh, for the balance of the year, it looks like between kind of cash flow from operations and um, your, your CapEx to date, you've kind of, or you've kind of burned about a billion dollars in cash. And I know you guys mentioned maybe a billion dollars from the DOE um, program. Uh, would, would that be funded all at once and then kind of cover your uh, kind of your Georgia, New York, um, and, and Texas plants? Is, is that how we should think about it? I'm going to turn the cash questions over to Paul here. Paul? Hey, thank you. Thanks for the question. 
Um, I guess a couple things I would share with you, first and foremost. Um, when you look at the uh, volume that we're projecting, you know, it's it's almost double or more in the second half. So there was a pretty heavy investment in working capital preparing for all of these new offerings, scaling up electrolyzer, scaling up stationary, scaling up mobility solutions, pretty heavy investment in inventory. We actually expect that to come down. So I, I expect uh, to to have that, you know, from an impact standpoint, either flat to actually generate in cash for us in the second half. Second thing is, um, when you look at, as, as Andy shared, you know, all of the traction we're making with growing volume as well as the cost downs, you know, that's going to impact our operating, uh, you know, our, our margin profile. So that helps as well. So you, you should see uh, a softening of that in the second half. Uh, the short answer to a question is on the on the DOE program, you know, it, we're, 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 you know, until it's done, it's not done, but, you know, we'll, we'll, the timing of exactly how that will play, you know, will be uh, to be determined um, in terms of the inflow. We are actually working, again, as Andy mentioned, with other solutions as well. You know, I, I think uh, if you look at the next couple of years, there's going to be a combination of debt solutions from corporate debt to project finance to enhanced ITC financings and all of those things you'll see more of uh, from us in, in the coming months as we start to unroll some of those solutions. And so it's going to, you know, come from one of those uh, programs in the short term, midterm, and long term as we roll all of those solutions out. Okay, and just one quick housekeeping question. Um, in the investor letter, I, I know you guys reiterated kind of the, the revenue guide for the year. Um, didn't see that for the gross margins. I was just wondering if you kind of level set us on that for uh, for the year. Thank you. Yeah, we, we didn't necessarily give a specific updates on, on the full year margin profile, but I think, you know, when you look at the second half, you know, you're going to see tremendous sequential progress. I mean, it, it's going to be, you know, uh, really, you know, you're going to see big step function in Q3, the volume growth, and then the even more substantial step function in, in Q4, you know, as we as we deliver the back half. You know, it's probably in the, uh, you know, 30, 40% range of sales for the back half in, 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 in Q3, and then kind of the 50, 60% range, you know, giving you rough ranges there in terms of volume in, this, in, in the fourth quarter. And when you get to that high level of sales, it's very accretive, and especially when you think about the complement of equipment programs that are in there. So we expect sequential growth, and, and you're going to see, you know, uh, strong performances and, and strong growth in the margin profile as we, as we progress through the year. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question, oh, as a reminder, please press star 1 to ask a question at this time. Our next question comes from Amit Dowell with H.C. Renwhite. Please proceed with your question. Thank you. Amit, how are you? Good, good to Andy. hear you. How are you doing? Very good. So, Andy, you, you highlighted, you know, uh, moving selling prices higher in your investor letter. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, which product offerings you're targeting first for this effort and then, you know, how this translates into the rest of the portfolio? Yeah. So I will, you know, let me, uh, I'll highlight one platform that we think there's real opportunities because we have our capabilities far exceed 
to competition. Uh, we know we know, and we've seen that uh, as we tested the market that there are real opportunities in the electrolyzer business. Uh, and that's a platform that we've seen that uh, based on the fact that uh, the demand is there and the supply, uh, when you really look at people's infrastructure, doesn't exist, uh, we think there is a good opportunity to raise prices. And we know that because we have been. And, uh, and we've been winning orders. So uh, that's, the one, that's one area that's clear to me that there's real opportunities. Um, so I think that uh, we've seen across all of our segments, again, because I think because of our unique position uh, and our experience, that uh, there are more opportunities than we've uh, been able to take advantage of the past. And, and look, it's really, really closely tied to all the investments we've made in infrastructure with facilities, with our hydrogen plants, uh, with our resources around the world that, uh, you know, we sit at the table with a great deal of credibility that we can deliver, which I think uniquely positions us and which creates additional value for plug. Understood, Andy. Thank you so much. And then maybe yeah. for Paul, I know you are, you know, anticipating significant improvements on the margin side in the second half. Um, you know, the cadence of this, are we looking at sort of break-even levels in 3Q and then moving to, you know, positive gross margin in the fourth quarter? Or how should we think about this, Paul? Yeah, I, I don't know if it'll be quite break even in Q3, but it should be you know low low teens kind of range, um, and and I think you're gonna you absolutely will see positive in Q4, um, and and pretty pretty meaningful uh, you know accretion on on the rate in Q4 as, as these cost downs continue to kick in, and equally more important, you know the sales volume that we're talking about and how substantial it is that that'll be very accretive since it's the, the composition of equipment. And longer term, as your infrastructure comes online, Paul, I mean, is there a possibility where gross uh, cost of goods sold will actually begin declining for you guys? You know, just trying to see from a modeling perspective how we should think about it as, you know, the infrastructure around all of these products uh, comes online. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you an analogy. You know, uh, when we built and designed the Rochester facility, you know, we thought we could do kind of two gigawatts of, of various products, you know, between uh, gen drive product and, and stacks and, and electrolyzer products. The learnings we've gone through, we now think we could do anywhere from four to five times that volume through that facility. I mean, you can only imagine that the, le the overhead leverage that you can get out of that, that's, uh, you know, um, you know, by, by leveraging that up. So, and we think that's going to happen very fast. So we're, we're you know, we, to your point, um, the infrastructure we've built and, and scaling, you know, the range of things that we're doing, um, you know, it's it's going to be uh, substantially, 
you know, accretive as we continue to ramp up the business just in overhead loads. That doesn't even count for supply chain cost reductions. I mean, Annie mentioned today we spent three hours today just as we do all the time working on, uh, you know, operational enhancements, focus on things. And so you got supply chain cost downs, you've got, you know, overhead leverage, and, and then you, as Annie mentioned before, there's various products that we're looking at uh, price management around and, and ASP management. So uh, all those things combined is what's going to drive that margin profile in, in the coming quarters. Understood. That's all I have, please. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mitt. Thank you. Our next question comes from Greg Lewis with BTIG. Please proceed with your question. Yeah, hey, thank Hello, you. Good Greg. afternoon. Good, good, good hey, afternoon. Yeah, the Hanks. You know, my, my first question was around, um, you know, how we should be thinking about the cadence of electrolyzer orders um, as, as we kind of go forward from here. You know, I mean, I guess projects are going to continue to be big and lumpy, but, you know, is, is the are kind of the more smaller projects building a base that could kind of maybe smooth out the cadence of orders here over the next 12 months? Or, I mean, what's kind of, what are we seeing out there in the market? Greg, I'm going to turn that over to Sanjay. Thank you, Andy. So, Greg, I think here's how you should think about it, right? So, um, you know, I think um, it's going to be a mix of three key things, right? One is our continued uh, strategic stack sale, which actually carry good pricing and good margin for us. Second piece of that is our five megawatt containerized turnkey product, which really makes electrolyzer easy for our customer. Right? Now, with the five megawatt product versus stack, there is, uh, you know, sort of your site acceptance tests and things like that, fabrication management. That's a piece we're continuing to refine and continue to get better at. Then you got large-scale projects, which goes under percentage of completion revenue accounting. And as you keep adding more and more of those, that gives you that stable base, right? But obviously, in 2023, you've seen, you know, Q1 versus Q2 be a lot more lumpy, but you will see that pick up in Q3 as you start to see more contribution from some of the, uh, you know, I mean, some project business, some incremental electrolyzer business, as well as some of this five megawatt project business, you will see that step change again in Q4. So from the bookings cadence standpoint, if you're looking next 12 months out, you should see a lot of five megawatt containerized product booking. You should see a lot of stack sales opportunity booking, and you should really see substantial large-scale pro project bookings that we've talked about, right? On our last earnings call, we said we're actually at the very final stages of major project. Announced one. Clearly, there's two more that we're going through legal documentation right now. So these are the type of the things you should see, which will make 2024 smoother. And as more and more of this project goes into the backlog and the bookings, then you actually will have that stable base with five megawatt and the stack sale kind of adding on top of that. That's how you should think about the stack of how that revenue should unfold for that business. Super helpful. Thank you very much. Of course. Okay. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. Our next question comes from Cassie Harrison with Piper Sandler. Please proceed with your question. Hi, Cassie. Uh, good evening. Hey, Andy. Good evening, team, and uh, thanks for taking the questions. Um, so I wanted to – yeah, thanks. I wanted to ask about the uh, the timing and then value of uh, any and all financing transactions that, that we're, we're discussing here, uh, specifically – how much capital uh, do you think you're going to raise, uh, you know, either in the second half of 2023 or 2024 from, you know, 
pick you know pick your source doe corporate bonds itc monetization infrastructure funds like what what is the absolute amount that we're looking for here is it half a billion a billion two billion just just trying to get a sense of that i'm i'm going to let paul take that one yeah i guess what i would tell you is when we look at debt capital and i and i think about it in kind of like the next 18 month time frame you know um and and across the varied sources that you've made reference to I'm targeting one to one point five billion. That's where I'm targeting. So uh, in that time frame, and you know exactly the timing of when it rolls in and, and how you know that that to be determined. But we're pretty confident. I mean, we we could go get debt today. I mean, it's not that we don't have access to debt capital. We just want to. We're being very opportunistic in thinking about the best terms, best costs, best all the different dynamics. There's debt available. It's just. You know, I've had term sheets from lots of players. It's just we're trying to be very thoughtful about what we do and when we do it. So, um, but in that time frame, that's roughly kind of what I'm thinking about in terms of magnitude. That's 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 helpful, uh, Paul. Thanks for that. Uh, and then and then maybe just a quick follow up question for uh, Sanjay on Georgia. Um, you know, as you as you indicated, uh, it's taken a little bit longer uh, to hit, you know, the the the, the targeted capacity. Um, can you uh, walk us through exactly what the gap has been more recently between, uh, you know, the uh, the analyst day back in June and, and what's actually happened? And then when Georgia is online, uh, will that is, – is the output for that facility earmarked for materials handling or is it earmarked for uh, stationary power? Let me take the second part of the question first, right? It's uh, obviously airmarked for our internal use and for both of those applications, right? So that's that's the first piece. Now, um, in terms of the um, timeline here as to, um, again, I think, uh, you know, from last we met versus where we are right now in the month of August here, we are fully planning to produce liquid here this quarter and uh, certainly this month and hosting the analyst day on the 23rd, right? So we've actually, you know, as we continue to make sure that what is the most optimal way to run the plant, there are learnings that we're having, right? Now we have a choice to make. Do you keep running or do you actually implement some of those learnings? So, uh, you know, there are things that we found out that we could do better from a rectifier energization perspective. There are learnings that we had from the stack perspective that were actually going to make the operation of the plant better, right? So as we look to implement some of those changes, learnings from our gas plant, that certainly has had some, you know, additional time impact here, right? And again, uh, one of the things we want to make sure, right? So for us, getting Georgia you know, Georgia up and running and getting production in Georgia, it also has to be done the right way and really leverage that learning as we start to think about building our plant in Texas, as we're building our plant in New York as well, right? So that's essentially what I would say. And also another thing you need to kind of keep in mind, right, is uh, we've been pushing, just so you guys know, in order to be able to get this plant built in 12 months versus what the industry average of 48 months is, you know, we've actually been pushing folks, but it's in it's the month of July and August, and on some level, the productivity does go down because it's 100 degrees outside, and people have to actually take break and really be able to cool down and then go back on site. And just to give you a sense, the team was on site at 4.30 a.m. today, right, just to make sure that things were happening. So that's another factor. There's nothing anyone can really do about that, reduce productivity in the month of Ju July and August in Georgia, and that certainly has played a bit of an impact here as well. Would you add anything to that? I would just wear shorts to the investor day of that event. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, thanks for that. Uh, if I, if I if I could sneak one more one more in, uh, Andy, uh, in the prepared remarks, uh, you talked dragging down the percent from thirteen percent. I was wondering if you or Paul, I could go into some details on what these are exactly, and then how should we think about those items uh, over the course of the year. Great, Cash. I'll hand it over to Paul. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, I guess what I would say is, I'll just give you a microcosm example. You know, when you're designing something that's new, that's never been done before, then you're trying to manufacture and scale it in mass quantities. Obviously, you're going through an incredible learning code really fast. So, sometimes we learn, like, certain materials in terms of how they perform, you know, uh, you know, and, and the product. And, and when we turn, we have, fortunately, we've got a great broad uh you know, platform to be able to test the products between the customers we're selling them to, as well as in the case of electrolyzers, you know, our own green hydrogen plants. So we're able to accelerate that learning curve. But when you're running through the range of things that we're launching and the, uh, you know, and the scale of pace and all those things, you kind of compound those things. So some of it's material sometimes in terms of how it works. Sometimes it's the, the manufacturing processes in terms of how it works, your learnings there. You know, it's those kind of learning curves that you go through. The good news is we feel like, in particular, many of these things, we've kind of gotten through those those humps and curves, and, and they're not lessons that you learn again, right? So we're able to kind of course correct and, and, and you know, go through those learnings quickly and, and redirect. So that's that just gives you a microcosm example of some of the kind of things that that's included in those costs. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Sam Burrow with Jefferies. Please proceed with your question. Hi, Sam. Good afternoon, Andy. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for squeezing me in. Um, I'll make it quick. Sure. You guys obviously put out that um, letter on the 45V to the powers that be recently and uh, laid out your case uh, convincingly, in my view at least. But it seems like the, the debate or like the, the conflict, the intracorporate conflict, if you will, is on additionality with the next heirs of the world wanting it. You obviously don't for reasons that make a lot of sense. But um, with that as the backdrop, like what do you guys consider to be a win on additionality? Like it being put to rest forever? Or is it still a win if additionality is a requirement that gets phased in over the next like five plus years? So Sam, uh, um, <laughs> I'm going to take a step back and say uh, I stand with Senator Carper, Senator Manchin, where Senator Carper wrote the bill says additionality was not included. Uh, so I uh, I'm going to stand by that. Uh, I will just add: the longer additionality is pushed out, the better it should be. But uh, it, you know, when people ask me that question, uh, you know, we've done a lot of work, and you may have seen some of the work. But essentially, it's bad for U.S. jobs, it's bad for climate, and it's bad for national security. And one item that people don't really talk a lot about, and I think you'll start seeing articles about this, this is really at heart. I know Senator Manchin took me aside and said, Andy, at heart, this is a national security decision. Will United States continue to be energy independent? 
and to put requirements on the hydrogen industry, which the government has not put on their own buildings as they drive to be net zero, just doesn't make sense. So uh, the longer it's out, the better. But uh, you know, I see no reason for Plug to publicly take a compromised position. Okay, got it. That's all for me. Thanks. Okay, thanks, Sam. Thank you. Our next question comes from Chris Dendrinos with RBC Capital Markets. Please proceed with your question. Uh, yeah, thank yeah, you. Sure. I, um, I guess m maybe just to start here. So in, in the investor letter, I think you guys all kind of mentioned that you had you had pushed out some of the timing on on some of these other facilities, maybe six months or so. Um, can you just provide a, I guess some additional commentary on 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 that? Is it really just kind of level setting expectations and, and giving yourself some more cushion or are there some maybe delays in, in construction that, that we should be thinking about? Thanks. I'm going to let Sanjay answer that one, Chris. Yeah, sure, Chris. So look, I'm, I'm glad actually you, you asked that question and give us an opportunity to talk about exactly what's going on here. Right? So um, in case of Texas, uh, you know, we wanted to make sure that we were going to get a lump sum EPC contract. That was very important because that allows you to go and get bankable deals done, makes the project bankable. It really starts opening up project financing. And we got to do that with a partner like QIT, right? Now, that contract negotiation, you know, and again, this is the first of a kind, hasn't been done in the green hydrogen industry. It took about six to nine months instead of probably a typical three to six months, right? So we have not executed the contract. EPC is going to start to kick off. So instead of actually kicking off that EPC is in the month of March, it is now in the month of July. So that's really what has happened here. So instead of that plant coming online in Q2 of 2024, now it's second half of 2024. That's what happened here. And by the way, we felt like that extra three to six months is well worth it. It is the right thing to do from basically being able to get a contract like this so that it sets the template and the standard of how this project needs to be executed. Otherwise, working and doing all the things that we did in Georgia, all that learning, we would not have taken advantage of that. In terms of New York, it all comes down to substation. We've, had, we've been having fantastic collaboration with NIPA as well as National Grid. But as it stands right now, that substation is probably going to get energized only in Q3 of 2024. Until the substation is energized, we cannot bring the liquid plant online. We have procured all the long lead time items. This is our electrolyzer. This is our liquefier. So those issues aren't the bottleneck. Permitting is not the bottleneck. There's nothing else like that, right? Which is why we just wanted to make sure that we articulated why Texas is, you know, and, you know, second half 24, why New York is second half 24. And as it relates to uh, Louisiana, we just wanted to make sure that we're being also thoughtful about what that right structure of the EPC contract needs to look like. We've been working hand in hand with our partner, Olin. And instead of that plant also being, you know, end of 2024, based on where we are today, realistically, and the end of 23, it is now going to be Q1 of 2024. That's really what has happened here. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, and then I guess maybe just on my, my follow-up here, and, and I apologize because I think my phone or Cashies might have cut out during during his last question, but, um, you know, in the in the letter here, there's, I think you mentioned $45 million of, of incremental investment costs um, kind of in the quarter um, for growth. Is that like investments that are going to have sort of pay dividends going forward, or is that just sort of things that you had to 
had to do in the quarter to true things up and, and I guess get infrastructure where it needed to be? I guess how should we think about the benefits of the of that incremental spend? Yeah, well, I mean, the, an the short answer to your question is absolutely yes. I mean, when we think about just this to put some context, sales of our electrolyzers will be four times the size and volume that we did in the first half. And as we grow into next year, the, the volume is growing dramatically. And this is a product that's very quickly generating a profitable product margin that is is incredibly attractive. So, and, and it's, you know, one of the many areas that we have opportunities for this ASP management. So, because of our unique position in this space. So, the short answer to your question is this absolutely has value in helping us propel these incredibly significant platforms that can, can be incredibly creative to the company, and you're going to see the benefits of that. So, hopefully that helps provide the color you're looking for. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Andrew Pericoco with Morgan Stanley. Please proceed with your question. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks so much for taking the. Hey, Andy, how are you? Um, doing well, doing well. Um, I'll just squeeze one quick one in here. Most of my mind have been asked, but it seems like you're you're pushing pretty hard against additionality. Um, and I'm just curious, what in a world where additionality is required, um, what does that mean for your business and margins in the in the near term? Maybe just ask it slightly differently. What are you currently assuming in your margin guidance in 2024 and 2025 as it relates to the hydrogen tax credit? Thanks. So, so Andrew, let me uh, take a step back and remind folks uh, the plants that Sanjay has rattled off: you know, Georgia, Texas. New York, Louisiana, all that work started, you know, and and started moving forward before the IRA. I'll uh, I'll let Paul answer the second part of that question, but uh, we have real demand for that hydrogen, regardless of how the regulations are written. I think the reason I take such a strong opinions about the IRA. You know, plug along with people like Cummings, Air Liquide, we're actually deeply involved in uh, helping architect what the language was. And I can tell you, it never came up. And so maybe that's why I might be uh, feel quite strong about it because uh, it really shouldn't even be a debate at the moment. But let me let Paul talk about the margin profiles and and how he thinks about it. I didn't hear the complete context of your question, though. What was the margin impact, Paul, if, the IR, if we don't get the production tax credit? Well, $3 a kilogram, I mean, it, you know, the way it's phrased is holistic, you know, $3 a kilogram is meaningful. We're not going to not get it all. We're going to get a substantial portion. And if we don't qualify, who will? <laughs> so I think we, we've got a unique position in, in, in terms of all of the relationships we have in, 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 in you know, Washington to help shape this in a meaningful way for all the things that Annie talked about. And so, uh, you know, this year you talk about Georgia coming on, we're, we're expecting to start accruing that benefit right away. And so um, it's going to have impact this year. And as we move into next year and turn on the additional facilities, it will have even substantially more, you know, uh, impact. And so when you talk about $3 a kilogram, 
you know, the majority of that, if not all of it, in the short term and midterm, the majority of it, you know, we get to to recognize and, and, and appreciate. So, um, you know, that's incredibly impactful for the, for the near term. So I think it's fair to say, Paul, even without the IRA, our costs go down to one-third of what they are today. Yeah. And, and as, you know, most of you guys know, we started our green hydrogen endeavor even before the IRA got passed because it is so incredibly economically uh, impactful and accretive to us to produce this at such a much substantially lower cost. So, you know, um, overall we're on the right path and right footing and this will be impactful and this is going to be incrementally accretive and additive to the overall equation. Okay. Thank you. I'll leave it there. Thank Thank you. Our next question comes from Avi Sina with Northland Capital. Please proceed with your question. Hi, Avi. Yeah. Hey, uh, thank you for squeezing me in. Just, just one quick one. So, um, overall, I, I keep getting this lot of news here from, like, you know, uh, whether it's from different projects in Australia, Europe, and whatnot. So, I mean, I feel like we have a lot of incremental additive value to the existing guidance here. But of course, there's no change in guidance, um, not less 2023, but even for longer term. And so I'm just wondering, at least if we look at 2024 or 2025, what projects you could point to that if materially, if materialized, could really tip the scale on, on the higher <laughs> of the guidance or keep the guidance? I mean, what, what should we hang on? Now, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years and I've been pretty good pretty good on revenue over the years and uh you know i i think we're going to stick by the guidance we provided already and if something really good happens and we're certainly engaged around the world and sanjay talked about the sales funnel for electrolyzers which are real uh, you know we're driving every day to make the number bigger but uh what we've said uh in the past for next year and what we've said for 2025, I think we'll just stand behind that today. Good try, though. All right. Fair enough. Thank you. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Our next question comes from Tom Curran with Seaport Research Partners. Please proceed with your question. Good afternoon, guys. Thanks for uh, running Hi. so much later here to, to allow some of the rest of us to ask questions. Yeah. No problem, Tom. And you were last but not least. They uh, just it made it. <laughs> <laughs> Story of my life. Story of my life. Just two quick ones. Uh, first, uh, Andy, Paul, um, just what are some of the main factors that have obstructed the services division's uh, ability to get closer to, to achieving a break-even gross margin by this point? And, and how has each of those challenges negatively surprised you, either just in terms of its yeah. nature, the, the fact that you didn't see it coming, or maybe its severity? And then, you know, given that, what what really undergirds your confidence from here that services will nevertheless be on track for your new profitability improvement timeframe? Yeah. So, Tom, uh, let me tell you why, you know, when I look at the challenge. And the challenge is really comes down to, you know, I'm going to give you the technical challenge, and then I'm going to give you the, um, 
uh, our view of why we believe we have good solutions. Uh, the technical challenge is really associated with uh, the customers, and, the, and this is good, or taking more power out of our units than they originally did. And uh, that means uh, we need to put more power into the box to be successful. And most of this is involved with material handling. The second item is, uh, you know, fuel cells don't like to start and stop all the time. And, uh, you know, we, we understand and have demonstrated that uh, we know how to manage that, which should be another differential advantage long-term for plug. We have about five or six sites that we've, now I'm going to talk about the old fleet and the new fleet. We've taken about five or six sites which we have implemented, you know, all the knowledge we've accumulated how to add more power, how to manage all these start-stops, and we see that uh, the data shows it works. And, you know, our biggest challenge has been how to implement these changes rapidly. Uh, you know, it takes people, and that's actually been one of the challenges uh, to get that right. The second one is with our metal stack and with what we've done, we can pack so much more power into a unit that we will never run into this issue again. So I feel very, very confident. And I, you know, this is not a commitment, but uh, I said in a meeting yesterday during a review, I see no reason long-term the service business can't be more profitable than the product. Great. And then, uh, you know, my follow-up would then be sticking with gross margin, turning to the equipment division. Where are gross margins currently for each of the major product lines? So by major, I mean, you know, material handling, electrolyzers, on-road mobility, cryogenic storage and transportation, and stationary power. Just, you know, what are the run rate targets for each that, when, you know, as you hit them on a blended basis are what you expect to enable you to get to that target division average gross margin goal? Yeah, there's a lot packed in your question given the range of things that we do. Um, first and foremost, we have historically in my public financials, you can look back and see, you know, we've hit 30% plus gross margins in material handling. So we, and, and when you look at the breadth of what we're doing there, it's all about continuing to drive that leverage and that will continue to be, you know, creative as we grow that. You know, electrolyzers is the early phase of what we're doing there. As I mentioned, we're going to do four times the sales in the second half, but it's already in the 20s and will quickly grow up to that 30% plus. When you look at our five, our long tenured, uh, our long term uh, margin goals of 30 growing up to 35%, we expect all the equipment business to get there just to give you some context. And so, you know, uh, they're all at different phases, especially some of the newer stuff like stationary, as an example. We're selling our first systems you know, as we speak. So those are very early in that process. The good news is it's all about scale. You know, when you look at how fast we're going to ramp these different businesses, it provides that opportunity to scale them from a volume standpoint, from a supply chain standpoint, you know, across those boards. So uh, cryogenic, you know, the trailer and the tank business, I mean, those are existing businesses that are in the mid-20s to high, you know, upper 20s. 
Um, so as we're launching, and, and as we're launching new products like mobile refuelers and hydrogen trailers, those are actually incredibly accretive in the market, and they'll be north of 30 right out of the gate. So don't want to get too discreetive because I'm sure there's customers listening to a lot of these calls, but I would just say, you know, we have a mix of products today that some are mature that are already in that range, and many that are poised, if they're not there yet, will get there very quickly. So that hopefully that gives you a little bit of, of color and context. Very so, helpful, uh, Paul. And, go go ahead, ahead, Andy. I'm sorry. No, please, go ahead, Tom. Uh, no, that was a very helpful overview, and I was just going to thank you for, you know, taking the same marathon approach to your call that the boss does to his shows. So <laughs> That's funny, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> On, on on that note, uh, let me uh, tell the analysts that uh, we're really looking forward to seeing you at uh, in Georgia on August 23rd. It should be you'll be able to see, you know, and using the boss analogy, Tom, you'll be able to see a plant like nowhere else in North America. So it's well, well worth coming to. And on top of that, uh, very shortly, you will be getting a letter about our Plug Power Symposium, which will be held at our VISTA facility. Again, uh, as I mentioned, uh, our it's an astonishing facility that we have about 10 minutes south of us here in Latham. So thank you, everyone, for staying on. And I look forward to seeing all the analysts down in Georgia. Bye now. This concludes today's teleconference. You may disconnect your lines at this time. Thank you for your participation. Thank you.